Now, I am going to guess that the answer to this question will be no, but I'm curious. Has anyone in here ever made the conscious decision to eat a spider? I mean, that's a weird question, right? But there's places in the world where, like, you can get a fried tarantula served up to you. Do I have any of those adventurous people who have done that? That's good. I have a room full of sane people. All right. That's a good thing. Um, can, I, can we put up the picture? I have a picture of what fried tarantula looks like when it's being served. Uh, is there any part of your thinking that wants to reach into that bucket of fried brown and deliver that into your mouth to be ingested by your butt? No, because there's a filter that goes off in your head that says in our culture, spiders should stay out of our mouth. Right? And that's okay. But we're also Southwest Florida, so at the same time, there's some things like tentacles. Tentacles. Now, I bet I have some tentacle eaters in the house with me. Come on, pull your hand up if you eat the calamari. That's right. I'm with you on this one. But as I was eating calamari on a date with my wife this last week, a thing went off in my head, just kind of questioning my filter. Like, I have a filter that keeps spiders out of my mouth, but what happened to it that I will eat tentacles? I don't know, but I was around it long enough to where it seemed normal enough, and if you fry something, it doesn't taste that bad, right? Anything fried all tastes the same, but it began me just questioning my filter a little bit, and I don't know if you've ever really made the conscious realization, like, I have a filter that I should analyze. Like, I have a way of thinking about the world And my way of thinking about the world might not always be correct, especially if I'm eating, you know, a spider. Like, my way of thinking might be messed up. We have a way of thinking, and we need to actually look at it. Scripture actually says that we need to change the way that we think, the way that we're thinking many times. And the study that we're doing, the series that we're doing right now, the content is following along a book by Craig Rochelle called Winning the War in Your Mind. Because for us to be spiritually healthy, the battle is largely fought in our mind. And the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church throughout his time, from coming to Christ to being a leader amongst the leaders of the church, he continues to pour into this area of saying you have to Take your thoughts captive. Every thought, you have to grab a hold of it, bringing it into obedience under Christ. Like we have to think about the way that we're thinking. And really the foundational passage through the series, and we'll put this up on the screen as I read it, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Today as we get into this, I just really want to draw your attention to every thought. That every thought needs to be taken captive and made obedient to Christ. That there are things that have probably run through your head all of your life and it seemed so normal. But then when you begin to take that thought and that way of thinking and put it up against the words of scripture, you recognize this thought pattern does not line up with what what scripture teaches. 
And when we find that point, it's not a point of shame. It's a point of realization and growth that this needs to be adjusted. Every thought, every thought that seemed good, every thought that seemed bad, every thought that's driven anxiety, every thought that brings joy. There are things that we know are celebrated within our culture that should not be celebrated. Every thought, we need to run through the filter of Scripture. We need to ask God, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about the way that I'm using my words? How do you feel about the way that I'm expressing generosity to others? How do you feel about the way that I serve other people through my life? How, how, God, how do you feel about the course of my career path? Every thought that we have should be driven through the lens of Scripture to, to better form the way that we're, we're living our life because we have what science refers to as a cognitive bias. We, we have a cognitive bias. We have a system set up in our mind that we take information, and you see this all the time, that many people will hear the same piece of information and have completely different reactions to it. You see it in the news. If you're heavy to the conservative side or you're heavy to the liberal side, you understand it's like something that, that is said that just should be so normal makes one side just flip out. Because it's not that the information was different, it's just the way that we understand it is different. And we need to look at the way that we're understanding and looking at the world, and we need to allow God to begin to rewrite that because our filter is not always working the way that it should. I've seen this lots of times from a pastoral position, and I've, I've told you the way that I understand being a pastor, it, to, to be pastored is to be known, to be loved, and to be challenged by someone. And we all pretty much enjoy being known. We all like being loved, right? But then the challenged piece, which is such a crucial part to pastoring someone, that can be more difficult to receive. And within our culture standard of thinking, often when someone challenges you or corrects you, the first kind of reaction is to find a reason to just ignore what they've said. And I've had plenty of people who've been in my life, people that I loved, but when I saw something that I knew, okay, this is going to hurt you if you keep moving in this direction, their response was to, to run. But, I, you know, their, their line of thinking, it wasn't ready to receive that sort of love through correction. I, I'll illustrate it this way for you. Um, there's a video that was going around. It was somewhat viral in 2018. I found it quite entertaining personally. As you can tell, it's stuck in my memory. It was a video, and there's two guys. You can hear them. They're standing behind the camera, and there's a woman, and she sees some horses. And her response, like I think many women just have this natural affinity for horses, her response was, oh, I'm going to go run and pet them. And she was so excited. And it's just this little low fence. Like, they're so accessible. She's going to get to pet their noses. It's going to be beautiful. And as she's running down the hill, you hear one man whisper to the other man, do you think we should tell her that that's an electric fence? And I'm going to have to do a little bit of editing. But he's like, oh, heck no. And as she runs and she gets her hands on those horses, her hands are up in this puny little two-strip fence that doesn't seem like much. It says hello. <laughs> so much so, you hear her scream. She turns around. She's like, I peed myself. Like, right? I, I mean, and then the question becomes, at least it runs through my mind, 
What kind of love was just expressed to that woman? I mean, it's funny. It's funny, I guess, to do that to someone. But I know that if it was like my child, I would have been like, whoa, slow down. Hold on. Understand. Know that that's about to hurt. Like if I, if I loved and I cared for everything that that person felt as they were running towards a situation that they thought would be good for them, I would say, whoa, hit the brakes. There's something that you need to know. And I just want to to ask in the most gentle way possible, are you allowing people to have that sort of access? Is your filter allowing correction in your life? Or is your way of thinking that you just want to be known and loved, but never corrected? For the Christian, we have to understand that if we're growing in our faith, then that means there's things that have to be refined. And if someone challenges you, someone who knows you and someone who loves you challenges you, they're just saying, hey, I want to stop you before you hit that electric fence. I know you're thinking you're going towards something good, but there's something that you need to know about. And we need to allow our lines of thinking to allow for correction. You know, as your pastor, if you've been here, I love you too much to shut up. Like, I, I love you too much to let you just run into that fence. And there's times where I might say something that is challenging or difficult to you. One of the things that I love about writing my messages out ahead of time is that if it strikes too close of a chord, I can tell you where this preparation started. Before anyone knew about your business, before your business was happening, God was already orchestrating a word that he wanted you to hear. And no one is picking on you. But anytime that someone is trying to help you change course, it's out of love and it's out of recognition that we have to take captive every thought. And there's things that will have to be changed. And so the way that we look at our life, the way, the way that we understand the way that things are supposed to go, there, there's an understanding shift that needs to occur because, like I said, the facts of how someone said something, it's received very differently. The way that you receive them it matters and you need to look at it because it's going to direct the course of your life and it's going to direct the course of other people's life the way that we respond. Will we respond with obedience or will we respond with fear and hiding? I mean, this was on display when the people of God were supposed to be taking the promised land. And as they arrived, they were instructed to send in men to go and spy out the land. And you've probably heard this story if you've been around church for a while, but there's a, there's a detail that it often gets missed. Because we think, okay, 12 spies, you, you grab your CIA guys and you spend them out there, just the random kind of shady guys that you can go to get and do that. And, and Joshua is one of them. We know that because he's a hero later. But the, the 12 people who were chosen to go and spy out the land, they were actually the leaders of each of the tribe. Each of the 12 tribes had one person that was considered a leader who was sent out to go spy out the land. And what happened is when they went and did that, they were already told, God is going to give you this land. This is going to be yours. Go back and, and, and get some of the fruit. Get some of the grapes. Get some of the figs. Bring back the good stuff. Show us how good this land is going to be. And bring back the report of what we need to know about the walls and the people and all of those things. And so these leaders from each of the tribes... They go out, and as they come back, 10 out of the 12 said, when we got there and we saw the land, the walls were really high. 
The people were huge. We look like grasshoppers amongst these people. The land, it devours everyone who's in it. It's not good land. Ten of them came back. Two of them came back with the more accurate report of the walls are there, the people are there, but God is also with us, and so he's going to give it to us. The fruit is amazing. The land is fertile. It's all that we wanted it to be. But 10 out of the 12, they saw the same exact information, but their filter interpreted it differently. I think that they probably did see the walls and they probably did see some bigger people and then that made them look and say, you know, this land isn't as good as we thought it was. Like if we have to fight them, if we have to go through that, then we probably don't even need any of this stuff. We'd be better to just keep walking. Maybe God will give us a different land that doesn't require us going up or through such a difficult obstacle. And the result was that the entire nation then had to wander around until that generation had perished. And they missed out on God's best. So when your perception of a situation, when your opinion, when your understanding of the facts of a situation collide with God's truth about a situation, where will your decision fall? Faith in the word of God or faith in your own perception. And I want to lovingly challenge you, the word of God never fails. No matter what it is that you're moving towards, there will be times where it feels like, man, if I just cut this corner, the word of God never fails. And when God sees you, honor him, in a difficult place, his provision is even more powerful. Whatever that struggle may have been. We have to look and understand, okay, there, there is a big picture. Can we go ahead and put the sunset picture up there for just a second? I know I might need a little bit of camera work here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over towards the screen. Because when we see life, it's like, we're going to get over all the way over here, so I don't know how much you have to jump. Sorry, I should have given you more warning about that. There's something there. I won't fall over it. When we see life, I think that it's honestly like this. Even when we say things are just great or we say things are terrible, it looks like this. We can choose where our focus goes. When, when the people were spying out the land, they saw things that were wonderful and things that looked scary, and our focus kind of works like this. We can say this is the whole picture. The storm clouds, the fear, the anxiety, the worry. And we can let that captivate our mind. Or we can choose to see the hope, the sunlight. And the way that you see the world, it's like this frame. And the question becomes, where does God want my frame to be? Does he want me living in fear and worry and anxiety? Or does he want me to see the hope and the truth of what's ahead? And God has provided everything that, that we need. He, he has provided the truth about what the future will be, but we're going to decide how we frame it up. And so the thing that you'll have to decide is where will I place my frame? 
Am I going to place it somewhere that, that only leads to fear? But see, I think that we have to, we have to begin to reframe what we've been thinking about. We, we have to reframe the things that are around us. And so we, there's different tools that we have, I believe, for reframing the way that we see the world. And, and one of them is just th- this truth that there's things that we should be thankful for because they never happened. In the midst of the storm, I understand that there's worry and there's stress and there's fear. But I want to tell you that, that even in the midst of the storm, there's a, an ability that we have to say, oh man, somebody ran into the back of my car. It's going to cost so much to fix. They didn't leave a note. But you know what? Your family, are they safe? Like even in the midst of the storm, there's things to be thankful for. I didn't get the promotion at work that I really wanted to. In this climate, you still have the job though, right? I mean, God has blessings around you, and there's so many things that could have happened that didn't, that I believe are part of that reframing process, that we understand, okay, there's, there's storm clouds off here to the side, but I'm going to choose to put my focus on the place that it needs to be. I'm going to thank God for the things that hadn't happened yet, and, and for the things that haven't happened to me, because there, the Apostle Paul, he is a beautiful example of this. If you've ever been in the place in your life where you look and you say, you know what, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not where I wanted to be. There's things that I'm worried about right now. The Apostle Paul has been there because one of the things that was so close to his heart was he wanted to go to Rome and preach. Like, he, he wanted to go and bring the gospel to, to Rome. And, and he had preached in so many different cities, seen God do so many different miracles, but he did end up going to Rome. But he, instead of just being free to go to the churches the way he wanted to, he went to Rome in chains. And he was imprisoned while he was there. And so if you, you know, ever have an opportunity to cry and complain and whine about your circumstances, I'd say a really good one is when you say, I've been doing exactly what God wanted me to do, and I've gotten beat up for it. I've gotten imprisoned for it. Like, God, where are you? Like, I'm, I'm walking in your ways, but it's all turning about. Like, the Apostle Paul could have gone that direction. And when he was writing to the, to the Philippian church, um, I, I'm going to read you a description, a filter of his circumstances uh, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And this is from the, the New Winers translation. Um, it's a good description of his circumstance. It's accurate, but th- this one's tougher to find on um, your Bible app for this translation. So I'll put it up on the screen for us here. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of all of the hell that I've been through, I'm offended and quitting serving and never going back to church. And that's a pretty good filter of, I've been imprisoned for my faith. That's one way to describe it. All the things that had happened to him, it has been terrible. But that's not how he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, is it? In verse 12, no, this is what it actually says. He says, I, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Getting beaten, getting imprisoned, not having a choice about where you go, knowing that your life could be put to an end at any minute at one person's decision, all of these things has happened to me here to help spread the good news for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, All the people who get chained to me, who have to watch me, they all know that I'm here in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly spoken God's message without fear. 
Now, this is an incredible way to frame your circumstance of what you've been walking through. He has gone through incredible difficulty, but he's chosen to see all of the opportunities that God has created in it, instead of the things that he would have liked to be more comfortable, been more fruitful, to be more timely, to have more freedoms, to have more respect. No, he's looked at this and he said, I might be in chains, but I'm not the prisoner here because there's someone else who's chained to me and has to listen to the gospel. And I wanted to bring the gospel to Rome, so here it is. I have Roman employees who are stuck with me. And they get the whole sermon. They, they're listening to me write letters to the church. They're listening to the authority of what God has done and what he continues to do. And they're stuck here. I'm before the leaders of the nation and they're listening. And yeah, there's difficulty. But all of that difficulty has worked together to empower the church to be even more bold. And so when I summarize my circumstance to you, it's not rain clouds, it's opportunities, it's light, it's sunrise. Things are just getting started. God is just getting started in what he's doing. There's a reframing that, that, that has to occur. And so this same heartbeat is alive in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now look, I understand there are legitimately difficult things going on in our lives. Many of us have experienced loss. Many of us have experienced difficulty at work. And the Apostle Paul was not free from any of that as he wrote this. And his instruction to the church is not when it's your fault, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. Even when someone else has offended you, even when someone else has harmed you, even when something has happened that's unjust, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. Because our conduct is not to be controlled by the circumstances that surround us. The way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we live, we have been given instructions from Scripture that never change. No matter how our culture changes, our instructions from the word of God have not changed. And so we are not controlled by who is the president. We are not controlled by the current cultural climate. We are not controlled by the decisions that people who are in charge of social media make. We are not controlled by any of those things. And we are free to live the way that we're called to live because of what Christ has done for us. And so we will choose to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of him. And so our first tool, I believe, for, for reframing the way that we've been seeing things is, first of all, we thank God for what didn't happen. We thank God. We understand that the things that have happened, that God will use them, and that there are things that never happened that we can even be thankful for. And the second tool that I believe that we have in correcting the way that we see things is that we have to practice pre-framing things. Like before a situation even begins to happen, we have to begin to say, I'm going to see this through the lens of Scripture before things even start to happen. I am not as social as it might appear sometimes. My wife makes me go out. She makes me be nice to people more than I would normally be nice to people. God works through her, all right? That's just the truth. And some of you guys are like, oh, I'm married to one of those as well. Like I, so I, my wife understands your pain. You guys can talk about it. And there's times where internally I will have the conversation of, oh my goodness, like 
I'm exhausted right now. Like, I'm going to go be around people, and I have to pre-frame the situation. I'm just to be honest with you. I hope that doesn't offend you any, that your pastor is not as naturally social as other people, but this is how it works in my head, and I hope it'll encourage some of you. I know that internally, I might want to just sit at home with my wife by myself all the time. That's my favorite thing. That's how I want to live my life. Um, But I know that if we go to that social event, God is going to bind us closer with other lives where they can encourage us and hold us up and we can encourage them and hold them up. I know that if I go to that ministry event, I'm going to see God move and speak into my own life and to other people's lives. And so I don't start looking at a situation of saying, oh, that's going to be socially exhausting for me. I look at a situation and say, that's a place that God moves. And so I'm going to be there. I don't look and say, okay, these people need help, and so we're going to go help at their house. I don't look and say, oh, I'm going to be exhausted at the end of it. No, I choose to pre-frame that and say, as I serve them, I serve Christ himself, and that is going to matter in eternity. And I know that when I pour myself out for his kingdom, God pours renewed strength into me, so I'm going to have all that I need at all times, abounding in every good work, because that's how the kingdom of God works. And so I have to choose to see these situations. And this isn't a twisting of the truth. This is a reality. This is a proper framing of the truth because Romans 8, 28, the apostle Paul writes, and he says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to to, to their purpose. And so if God's gonna take all of these things to work together, I understand that even if this feels difficult, God is gonna use it. Even if I didn't want to go have this conversation, this is going to be a difficult conversation to have, I know that God is going to use it. And so I will properly frame my expectations in accordance with what Scripture teaches that God is going to work through these circumstances ahead, even if they're challenging to me. And I'm going to tell you, for anyone who led their own life, led a business, led a church through 2020, we know that there's times that things just feel difficult, but even through those times, God is at work, isn't he? I mean, even, even through 2020, we, we saw, I mean, we're a portable church. That's challenging enough. We jumped from place to place. We, I mean, we changed things. We had to buy a bunch of equipment that we didn't even have to use so that, you know, our live stream video wouldn't look like some sort of prison capture that was happening overseas. Like, I mean, we went through all kinds of struggle, but through each of those things, God was working. People were still coming to Christ. Have you recognized the truth that 2020 was the foundation that God used for our church to take land in our city? I mean, how ridiculous is that? That the worst year ever was the the total foundation that set us into a place where we could purchase $460,000 worth of land. And times where we could look and just say, everything is falling apart. We don't know where we're going to be meeting from week to week. We don't know what our equipment's going to do. We don't know where our future is going. God has said, I have this. Honor me in this, this moment. Walk in a way worthy of my gospel. And I'm going to meet every one of your needs because I have purposes that are set ahead of you. And so you're not going to walk in fear. And so we look, we look for the good in what God's doing in all of these situations. Band, if you guys want to make your way up, I'll begin to close this out. So we look for the good in all of these situations because we know, listen to me, 
We don't look for the good because we're ridiculously optimistic. I am not a naturally optimistic person. I am a realistic person. But scripture and experience has persuaded me that God will use any of these situations for good. It's not that he caused all of the situations. There are things that we did that created bad circumstances in our own life. There's choices other people made that impacted us negatively, but God will take that and he will redeem it. And so we can find good in any of those situations. You know, when I, when I think of in, in Kings, when Elijah was faced with a drought throughout the city, and he had this incredible challenge with other prophets to prove who the real God was. And, and, and he showed who the real God was. And, and he declared, rain is going to come. God is going to end this drought as we repent. And he goes up to the mountaintop waiting for God to do what God said he would do. And he has a servant with him. And I, I don't know if it was kindness, peace, fear. I don't know what drove him all the way to the mountaintop to wait on God. But I do know that the servant had to go up and down the mountaintop seven times, the servant was sent, go look for a sign of hope. Go tell me if you see any clouds, any rain. Is God doing anything? Go look on the horizon. And seven times he had to run up and down and, and report to him, there's nothing. And the seventh time he came back and, and was basically, there's basically nothing, but there's a cloud just, just the size of someone's hand. Which if you're a meteorologist, you'll know that's generally not big enough to produce enough rain to heal a land that's been in drought. A cloud the size of someone's hand. And Elijah looked and he said, that's enough hope. Go ahead and run ahead and tell the king that rain is coming. Like that one little sign, that one little thing, I know that that's enough of a sign that God is still going to be in this. And there will be times where you look at the big picture of your circumstances and you will feel like, there is just the tiniest sliver of hope here. And I want to tell you that that's enough. That God will show you enough for you to take that first step of hope and faith and trust and that he will bring the rain, he will bring the provision. But you have to choose to set your eyes to frame up the picture of this is all I need to see. This is enough evidence of God's goodness for me to walk in faith. This is enough trust. I see the storm, I see the waves, I see the other people in fear, but I see Jesus out on the water, so I feel like if my eyes are on him, I can get out and walk. And that's what happened with Peter, right? Until he set his perspective on the waves. When we have our perspective in the right place, that's when we see God do the miraculous. And God put this on my heart as I was preparing for this. And it was a little bit of just a recognition, a realization about peace because we talk about peace coming into our life. And I think that often we feel like it's just gonna like overtake us. And the more that I study what scripture says about having peace, the more it confirms to me that peace overtakes us when we allow our perspective to be focused on the reality of the situation that God has it under control, that his word will come to pass, that the presence of Jesus in your life is enough to overcome any of your circumstances. And the peace that we have in Christ that overcomes 
anything the world has to offer that is gained by filling our mind with the truth of Scripture, by fixing our frame, by fixing our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. So where is your frame at? I understand there's a big picture. Where will you set your eyes? Because if you choose to set your eyes on Christ, you will have peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you draw us to yourself. To yourself. We're so thankful that you instruct us, you correct us, that you guide us. Help us to see growth in the right way. Help us to see the changes we need to make in the right way. And as we fix our eyes on you, would peace just continue to overtake our perspective of this world because our faith is overtaking our fears. In Jesus' name we pray.